This is Footy Time with Daniel Andrews, and as always, I'm joined on the other line by Johnny Raff. How are you, Johnny? Oh, four left, Dan. You know, I think any one of them can win it as well. Uh, what do you reckon? Getting down to the pointy end. It's pretty big. I guess, yeah, I haven't quite grasped how big it is yet, maybe just because of how much I've been consumed thinking about Melbourne and Geelong. But uh, yeah, this is what you play for, right? This is where you want to be. And good for the four to be back on this stage again. And Melbourne has a chance to avenge their poor preliminary final in 2018 where people were giving them a chance in that game but yeah it was always going to be yep. a tough order i think it's fair to say these are the best four teams all year would you agree yeah yeah i definitely agree with that so i guess there was that whole thing with the bulldogs and brisbane who deserved that fourth spot and pro probably history will say that bulldogs probably did deserve it and melbourne maybe got the slightly better draw by drawing brisbane the first week with that shift on percentage in that last round but yeah it's good to see that the dogs managed to get through and they're pretty good in knockout finals it seems yep yep when the backs to the wall and yeah it's two in a row now two more and they can repeat their uh achievements of 2016 yeah i think bond looked a bit sore so hopefully he can get up but yeah yeah that should be another good game if uh they can mount another challenge and have a bit of luck on the injury front yeah, no, I think that will be a good one, actually, yeah. So what caught your eye over the weekend? Anything specific? Yes, yes, and I don't like to really pay much attention to umpires, but I'm just noticing a lot of people are talking about this. Uh, yeah, just the general standard of umpiring in both games, uh, specifically the Bulldogs and Brisbane game, but I think people are just a bit frustrated at the over-umpiring that's happening at the moment. Uh, we talked about it uh, after the uh, Geelong Melbourne game. Just uh, it was very sort of little touches and free kicks and um, just interpretations of the rules being misinterpreted to people's opinions, I guess. Uh, but yeah, what did you? What, what's your? Where do you stand on this, Dan? With the uh, the umpiring standard? Yeah, generally they do let it go a little bit more in finals, but maybe that wasn't the case in the weekend's games for whatever reason but yeah I'm not quite sure like you're down to the last six umpires now so they should be the best umpires but uh I'm not necessarily sure that there are that many like terrible decisions over the weekend just some contentious ones and uh maybe just a few too many free kicks for my liking in general yeah I I definitely agree that there probably wasn't a plethora of bad calls or anything, but uh, notice that there's probably a lot more throws that are being missed at the moment, mm. or just quick flicks. But look, that that happens. Uh, we, everyone knows the incident with, uh, and we'll get into it a bit later on the uh, the Caleb Daniel incident and insufficient intent. I guess that might have been yeah. probably the worst of the game. But um, yeah, I think it's just uh, it's probably the the number of free kicks being paid that people are a bit frustrated with. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see if the trend continues because I did think, in general, the umpiring <clears throat> was pretty good in week one other than the game in the wet, which is a bit different. But yeah, no, I, agree. I did actually week quite good. like the umpiring in those games. So hopefully they can uh, right the ship in the prelims and maybe blow the whistle a little less often. But time mm. will tell. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yes, so obviously yes. we've got a couple of semifinals to recap. Won't go into a huge amount of detail on the Cats Giants game because, yeah, wasn't hugely. Uh, I don't know what to say about that game. We'll we'll talk about it a little bit, but it was kind of almost over before it began. <laughs> I don't quite yeah. know how the Giants were going to win that without Green and Hogan, and so it proved they didn't get the job done. But we've got a much better game, perhaps one of the best semi-finals in the last twenty years between the Brisbane yes. Lions and the Western Bulldogs. So that'll be a great one, and to cap off also we'll be doing a bit of a how does each team win the, their preliminary final so we'll go through a couple of things that we think might make a bit of a difference for each of those teams getting the job done there so uh yeah let's kick it off with the cats and the giants johnny um so yeah just yeah. very quickly how did you see this game yeah i think you put it you put it really well actually it didn't 
it looked like it it was over before it began i guess and in a way you just you knew that it was going to be the giants were going to be up against it and the cats they were definitely the better side but it still kind of took them a little bit of time to get going as well i guess um they do miss a few shots early which doesn't make it easy but um yeah you know what in some ways i think tom hawkins was the difference i think he really turned it on and that was just that was it it's a classic geelong thing isn't that you're disappointed in the first week and then you have a relatively good win in the second week here and yeah tom mm. hawkins really took that beating of sam taylor hard and uh taught him a lesson with uh his strength and positioning and yeah setting up multiple goals as well and yeah i guess the first half was a little slow Cats not taking that many risks and the Giants not being able to score that heavily. It did open up a bit more in the second half, but yeah, I think there was Geelong just had too much for the Giants, especially a Giants side without kind of their uh, two attacking, big attacking options. And yeah, every time they were going forward, they didn't really look like they had much to trouble Geelong. No, they didn't. And Zach Tui makes a massive difference. He's a bit of a weapon off halfback. Uh, Will it be enough to win him a flag? I'd still, if I was a Cats fan, I'd still love to have Stewart in there, but he's definitely something we're going to have to watch out for this week. So how many times do you reckon we would have had to play this game before GWS would have actually won it? So say, so if we're doing out of 10 to start with, that might not be enough. Maybe not. Yeah, uh, you'd probably have to get to the 20s, I'd say. Um, It was someone I was speaking with actually put it really well. I think at one point in the third quarter, maybe it was even before halftime, they said, uh, uh, GWS are on the verge of what you'd call in it. (laughs) um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that kind of summed it up. They they were there about score-wise, maybe, but they just never really threatened. They looked a bit toothless at times in their attack and... Yeah, you just sort of knew. Yeah, it's kind of, in one way, a bit of a perfect tune-up for Geelong, but in the other sense, they haven't really been tested either, so maybe not the perfect tune-up in that way. But uh, yeah, good for them to get a bit of their confidence back, I suppose. So I guess that leads me to my next question. What did we actually learn out of this game? Do we learn anything about Geelong that might give us a bit of a hint as to what we're going to see in the prelims or was this just a professional side getting the job done and really nothing to see here besides that? Uh, we didn't learn a great deal in my opinion, but we didn't learn nothing. Uh, we did learn that Geelong can speed up the game. As we know at times this year, most of their goals came from when there was quick ball movement and we'll get into this a bit later, but I think that's a little bit of a, a clue into the what the Cats need to think about going into the game this week. But apart from that, I do think it was just a professional performance. They did what they had to do. Uh, at, at, at some points, it felt like a bit of a bruise-free contest for Geelong, to be honest. And um, the Giants I was just, just about to say cooked. that. Like, yeah, I was just about to say that. It almost didn't feel like a final. Like, it was there or thereabouts, but if you're going to say, you know, finals pressure all that sort of stuff, you wouldn't really say that, that was a finals-like atmosphere or finals-like pressure. No, no, I don't think you would at all. So I, I guess, yeah, that's no slide on the cats. It's probably more, says more about the no. Giants and just uh, where they are at with uh, probably a, a long run-in of hard games and also uh, some of their key players being out, but... Yeah, it will be interesting to see how that sets Geelong up going forward. Like They didn't really get any big injuries. I know Parfit did a hamstring, but I don't think that game would have taken a lot out of them compared to the Bulldogs no. who were pushed the whole way exactly. and have a few more injury issues. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether you know the Bulldogs or Geelong puts in a better performance in the prelims. Would you prefer that you know hardened uh, side coming up against, you know, a really good side and having a hard contest or would you just prefer to get through the semi and uh, mm. you know turn it on try and turn it on in the prelim yeah that's a good question because 
you know, to win the qualifying final, the ultimate reward is to have the week off and have a rest. And, you know, if you can expend as little energy as possible in the semi, you'd think that would be a good thing. But on the flip side, it might help to be battle-hardened as well. So that could be a plus for the dogs. So, yeah, I'm actually not sure what would be better in this situation. Um, But, look, having said before that we don't know that much more about Geelong, that's not necessarily a bad thing. We do know, in general, that they are a good side and they'll definitely give Melbourne a run for their money. Absolutely. No question with that. All right, let's move on to... The game we want to talk about. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> this was the other semi-final, Brisbane hosting the Dogs. Obviously, having finished in top four, they got the double chance. And uh, yeah, I guess a lot of people were seeing this as a bit of a 50-50 game. I was favouring Brisbane for the home ground advantage, and I wasn't entirely convinced the Dogs had righted the ship in a few key areas. How are you seeing this game going in, Johnny? Earlier in the week, I would have agreed, definitely, uh, that... Brisbane would be maybe more than slight favourites. But, uh, yeah, as the week went on, I just kind of... It levelled up a bit in my mind. I just thought the dogs do tend to travel quite well. And, yeah, I I don't know what it was. I just had this funny feeling that if they could get the game on their terms, you know, have the speed and end-to-end, they'd be in with a shot. Yeah, well, it proved to be a great contest. So the way I've laid this out is I've got a few points about the first three quarters, but really most of the attention is going to a crazy last quarter. So uh, let's uh, work our way through this. So the first quarter started off a little slow. So there were three goals in approximately the first 18 minutes, but then the contest really came alive. So five center bounce goals in a row. So I guess actually the first one of those wouldn't have been <laughs> a center bounce goal. So it must have been four center bounce goals in a row so so that would have been three to Brisbane and one to the dogs so those goals that Brisbane got in a row there were in this very short burst of time one to McCarthy one to Danaher and dual goals to Cameron so it was a bit of casino footy there for a while like getting quick center clearance and just falling for one or two of the forwards and uh yeah getting plenty of score on the board very very quickly yeah a bit of roulette I guess um yeah, it was, it was a good start and yeah, definitely a sign of things to come. So one thing I did notice in the first quarter, though, was the Bulldogs were struggling a little bit to take any marks inside 50. Obviously, Bruce had gone down and they're more or less relying on Norton and to a lesser extent English. But uh, the end of the first quarter, it was a five goal to three scoreline with Brisbane in front by 11 points. So they did have the better start help by that little run of goals they had with the center clearances there. Oh, yeah, no, um, yeah, I thought it was uh, it was definitely a flying start, but, um, yeah, the dogs just needed to find, they needed a bit of time to find their groove, I think, but they eventually sort of ground out their path, I guess. Um, but, yeah, it was going to be a long night ahead. So in the second quarter, the dogs did get their game going, doing a fair bit better around stoppage. Brisbane were doing really well out of stoppage in that first quarter, I think. McInerney was really dominating in the ruck and uh, just getting it straight, hitting straight uh, out of the contest. And yeah, they were quite attacking hits, but I'm pretty sure it was Bont and Pally who decided to take sort of defensive side of the stoppage and really did make it a lot harder for Brisbane to exit with clear looks. So that was important for them getting on top in the stoppages in the second and they managed to get goals to Norton, Hannon, and Waitman. But what I really wanted to bring up in this second quarter was a couple of these amazing kicks from Caleb Daniel. Is he like the new quarterback or something? Because he hit two outrageous kicks, basically going through the true center of the ground. I don't know if anyone else could hit these kicks, or at least if they'd have the confidence to go for them. So Mm. it was basically like the player was level with their opponent, but like they just sprinted into space where they knew sort of Daniel was going to kick it to them or where he what they wanted it. Well, he, I think he actually almost more, more led the player to the ball, but it was just these perfectly weighted kicks that were just completely slicing Brisbane apart. I don't think I've seen anything like it, for, at least not for a long time. They're amazing kicks. 
Yeah, I love watching this guy kick the footy. Uh, he just seems he, he gets the perfect weight on his kicks. He's not the most penetrating kick, obviously, but uh, yeah, he he just lands it perfectly on a dime, I guess. And yeah, uh, those were, those were ripping kicks. And yeah, I don't think there'd be too many players that would actually be game enough to even think about that, let alone try it out in a game. Uh, you know, obviously you got your Lockie Whitfields and your Daniel Riches, but uh, yeah, uh, super super kick of the ball. Uh, Caleb Daniel. So just to show how good these two kicks were, both of them led directly to goals. So uh, I think it was Norton and Waitman who got goals out the back of those plays. So it just completely opened up the ground. And I think what was most impressive about this was like it looked like it was basically a stop play. Like there was no space. (laughs) And then just all of a sudden it just completely breaks open with just the most precise kick you can imagine like an NFL play with the quarterback throwing through a small window yeah exactly yeah you know, and you're basically doing, yeah. just got, getting the receiver running onto it that's kind of what yeah. it looked like and that's what it reminded me of yeah perfect that's, yeah. that's where the, that's where the quarterback like thing came from anyway that gave the Bulldogs a one point halftime lead and plenty of hope but it was Brisbane in the third with all the momentum they kicked three goals McCluggage Bailey and Leicester kicking three goals there and uh, also four behinds for the quarter for Brisbane. They really had all the play for the majority of this quarter, although the Dogs did get one back late to bring the margin back to nine points. But, yeah, they almost seemed to break them in that quarter. I guess yep. the stoppage dominance came back a little bit or they were getting enough good looks at it. And, yeah, they were looking really dangerous in this third quarter. For sure, yeah. The Bulldogs were sort of clinging on at one point. But, um, yeah, I guess the stoppage dominance was really putting the Dogs on the back foot. And, uh, yeah, look, Brisbane can score quickly. That is one thing that they have proven. Uh, they can definitely score in patches. And I think three-quarter time probably came at the right time, really, for the Dogs. So it was all set up for a great last quarter. Obviously, the winner getting to face Port in the prelim. How did you see it going into this last quarter, Johnny? Oh, wow. Yeah, this it was funny. Just just before that ball got bounced for the last quarter, you had this feeling it was going to be a big grandstand finish. It was, I don't know, every now and then you get that feeling in games like this. Um, Yeah, look, yeah, I had to give Brisbane the edge, but you knew that there was going to be something from the dogs, definitely. Um, It had just been that kind of game. It was it was an open game, I thought, and there were definitely chances to score. There were Yeah, and it just it started with an absolute bang. I, I would have given the I definitely would have given the edge to the Lions just though at the start of that quarter. It seemed to go up a couple of levels, like Yeah. The pressure was good in the first couple of quarters here, but it everything just seemed to lift in this last quarter. Yeah. No one seemed to have much time with the ball and uh Every contest was magnified, it seemed. Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, let's get into our detailed rundown to relive some of these great plays. So it started with the first clearance of the quarter, straight out of the center bounce, and it was McRae winning it away. And the Dogs managed to control it on the ground inside 50, flicking it around, and eventually Hunter went for a centering kick back to McRae, and he managed to take a really nice contested mark against Neil. And from a set shot at about 40 out, he managed to swing it in with a shot that did get a little close to the post. And just like that, it was under a goal, four points. So if there was any doubt that the Bulldogs had a good chance here, it was quickly mm. erased. <laughs> yeah, and I still marvel at Jack McRae at how much he's managed to improve his kicking over time. I still can't believe that he's at the level that he's at now because I honestly thought he couldn't kick over a jam jar at all when he started. Uh, So that's just a a good story that, you know, you can work hard on a skill and and get to a reasonable level because we all know he's an elite ball winner. But, um, yeah, that was a real big goal. Bring it within a few points. So it was the Lions' turn to have a bit of a chance and they had repeat forward 50 stoppages for a time. And there was one about the paint of 50, and it was actually Bailey Dale standing on the defensive side of the stoppage who roved the McInerney tap. And what happened next was almost inexplicable. Zorko had him, 
and he almost sort of half let him go as uh, Dale seemed to shrug the tackle at the same time using his strength and he got it onto Hunter and by clearing the stoppage so easily it was basically just breaking the game open. All the numbers were around that stoppage and getting it out so easily to Hunter saw him running on the wing and Bailey Smith was there to receive as well and uh, he had eight metres on Gardner. Kicking into an open 50, Shaki had time to sort of half over on the ball and still get back onto it for the snap. And just like that, the dogs are up by two points. Yeah, what a sequence of events that was. Um, yeah, if you're going to commit those numbers to the, the stoppage, you kind of need everything to go right, don't you? Because uh, if it does get at the back, yeah. Especially with the dogs, they do have guys who can sort of find that space quickly at the you know off the contest off the stoppage rather and yeah Bailey Smith thought was really important that his quick handball to Shaki was lightning he really sort of was starting to get involved and yeah just like that (laughs) just like that it did seem that I think it was Zorko that Dale broke the tackle it just seemed a little bit too easy and I thought so how easy it was just made it had the flow on effect because he could get it in a really good position on to Smith. Uh, sorry, on to Hunter, who gave to Smith. And then it just was so open up the field. So, yeah, really kind of symptomatic of what was happening to Brisbane. Like, they were getting more of the play, but they were giving up these really open looks occasionally. Yeah. And just, I guess it kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week in the Melbourne game. Their midfielders don't defend that well they don't run both ways so like yeah as the opposition you you are going to get a number of these opportunities through the game and if you're good enough to take advantage of it then uh yeah you you can score and the Bulldogs I think had 14 or 15 less entries in this game but uh they were still well in the game because they could get these little pieces of clean play where they're just completely breaking away and Mm. the lines were sort of nowhere near them yeah, yeah, there were definitely moments where they were just slicing him through the middle. And uh, I thought, yeah, I thought Zorka could have done a bit better. But, yeah, that's it, it, you're right. I think it is symptomatic of the lines and occasionally they can give up plays the other way through the middle. For sure. All right, so next play I want to go to was starting with a high kick from Zach Bailey uh, round about the wing. And... Uh, it was Daniel gathering, and he was spun 360 before getting the handball away. No surprise that it wasn't paid holding the ball. They don't pay that, that way anymore. Mm. But uh, got the ball on, and uh, Libba sort of snapped blindly forward, but it did land in a pretty good spot, and uh, Vandermeer was able to get it on to Johannesson, who'd come on as the sub, and he hit a pretty short kick to Bailey Smith, who was all in plenty of space uh, in the 50. And, but it was the umpire saying not far enough. And uh, luckily for Smith, he heard the call. Often they don't in these situations. And basically turned straight away and got the ball towards goal. And uh, yeah, the kick itself was an absolute floater. So it had the craziest spin. It kind of looked like it was going to the yeah. left, but it kind of had in-swing back in towards the goal. And uh, Shaggy, Shaggy did enough on the line to see it through. So uh yeah, now the Dogs had kicked four goals in a row and were up by eight points. So another amazing bit of play there. Yeah, real strange kick, that one. But uh, look, it did <laughs> the job. And uh, yeah, Bulldogs fully with the ascendancy at that point. More hard running from Smith to get in the right spot again. I think he yes. was probably... the. You don't have to say he was the most influential Dogs player in this last quarter. The oh, number yeah. of times he was getting out into space and... I think he contributed either directly or indirectly to at least three of their goals. Yeah, look, you know, legacies are made in these kinds of games and uh, he had some very instrumental plays uh, here. And yeah, that was, he's such a, he's an, we, he's an elite runner for sure. And yeah, I think he really rose to the occasion. So as the pattern of the game suggested, it was the Lions' turn to do something. So there'd been several stretches throughout the game where each team had got on a bit of a roll. In the second quarter, it was the Dogs. In the third, it was Brisbane. And the 
Dogs had just kicked four in a row again, but Brisbane wouldn't be denied. So they methodically picked their way down the ground before going long, long to a pack about 30 out. And off the back of the pack, Danaher was able to gather near the boundary. And with a bit of a blind kick around the corner, he managed to get it to about 20 metres out where luck would have it. Fullerton was standing right there, more or less unopposed to take a strong mark. And uh, although he was straight in front, you know, for a young kid, not an easy shot, And but he managed to go back and slot it. And uh, just like that, the deficit was now back to one single point. So uh, still up in and up to their ears, the Lions. And how much time was left at this point then? There was still like 13, 14 minutes? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure how much time. I think it was under 10 minutes at this point maybe, in time. Yeah, at but uh, yeah. then there was a bit of a period for the next sort of five or so minutes where there wasn't much scoring, like maybe a point here and there. But uh, it was actually 72 points apiece with just two minutes 40 left on the clock. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's where we'll go to next. And uh, what I'm calling... A series of unfortunate events for Brisbane is where we'll pick this up. Okay. So, firstly, we've got an off-the-ball free kick. I'm not even sure who it was against, but Brisbane had the ball at about sort of 70 metres out and we're just about to pump it back inside 50 and, uh, yeah, gave away an undisciplined free kick to give the Bulldogs an easy transition out of the 50. You don't particularly remember who that was, do you? I'm not even sure it was uh... that clear, but... Uh, not a good place to give away. Was it? Uh, it wasn't. Um, wasn't McCarthy? Was it? No. Could have been. I, I'm really not sure. It was yeah, one of their neither, forwards, anyway. Neither. All right. So that was that. That that was the first problem. So and then in the next bit of play after they'd taken that kick, uh, the Lions were sort of surging it back uh, towards their end through the middle. And it was actually uh, Zorko who tried about a half-metre handball to Rich. Really quite a poor handball and really shouldn't have been giving it to him because he was that close to him anyway. And uh, the ball just sort of bobbled around from there. So that was a bad miss because they had sort of three players running in a wave. And then um, to make matters worse, uh, the ball hit the ground and Dale more or less sort of dived on the ball and did actually drag it back in. And usually this is a really easy decision for the umpire to make, but for whatever mm. reason, he didn't blow the whistle. Yeah, I thought that was ball. Uh, but yeah, maybe one of those situations where they let it go. Uh, yeah, that real big opportunity missed there for Brisbane uh, when they had the sort of wave and Zorko had it. It just... I don't know. They, they just and there were moments in the third quarter where it seemed like this as well that Brisbane had chances to put this out of reach and yeah, they just didn't quite make the plays. I guess I remember thinking. I think most of these were in the first half. Brisbane just had like these completely open looks, like coming through true centre half forward, just really open, and just somehow they managed to not score goals out of those plays. And I just remember thinking, yeah. if you're not going to score on a play like that. It's going to be really hard for you to win the game. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. All right. So back to the series of unfortunate events. So we now have ball up, pretty much true center wing, uh, kind of on the edge of the square. So Johannesson manages to get the kick away out of stoppage and uh, Norton competing against two make sure the ball comes to ground. And the ball actually falls for Hannon, who gets the handball out to the running Bailey Smith. And while he's running away from goal, he managed to manages to hook the left foot across the body and get the ball online from close to the boundary. A beautiful low kick. And the deadlock is broken. The dogs are now up by a straight kick. Yeah, that was the best goal or the best score involvement he was involved in uh, in that last quarter, I think, for sure. Uh, he just looked so cool doing it as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was yeah, brilliant, brilliant. He's got kick. the hair, he's got the swagger, he's got everything. <laughs> yeah, no, he really announced himself in this game, and uh, yeah, I think there was a some kind of celebration there as well. Uh, <laughs> ice in the <laughs> oh, veins, that's right. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's pointing to the veins, yeah. ice in the veins. So yeah, yeah he's you gotta got have going these guys. on. 
you got to have these guys entertainers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So just very quickly recapping that, let's look at how many things had to go wrong for that to happen. Mm. So we've got the off-the-ball free kick, one. Um, we've got Rich fumbling, Zorko, you know, giving him the half-meter handball, two. The Dale non-free kick, three. And then a bit of just Bulldogs magic there. So, yeah, three things that really, I guess, the Lions only had control over two, but three really big things that went against them, and that's what uh, gives the Dogs a lead there. Yeah, that's that's pretty bad luck. I mean, it can't just be luck, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, what more can you say? I mean, you've got to be able to finish it, and that's what Smith did, but... Yeah. Uh, do you think that was a free kick, by the way, the um, the infringement in the defensive 50 for the Dogs? Um, I, I didn't actually even see the incident where they where they paid the reversal. Uh, you mean, like, to start that whole sequence? Of yeah, to start the, yeah. Yeah. I didn't really see it, but, you know, there's not usually much contact there where they do that. It's probably just a little bit of high contact. Wouldn't have been much, but... They they generally pay. They those, generally so. pay them. Yeah, I think yeah. that was the case again with this one. Just really silly. Just don't do it. Just like, don't do it exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. So the next big play we go to starts with Gardner marking in the back fifty, and the Lions knowing that there's very little time left, went as quick as possible straight up the middle, and uh, McCluggage got the handball receive and put it in high and long to the point of fifty. And it was actually two dogs players who flew and basically knocked into each other, yep. bringing the ball to ground. Yep. And who was there but the slick Zach Bailey together at full pace. And uh, he put the perfect step on his Bulldogs opponent to completely uh, open up the goal face. And he, as he ran in probably to about 25 out, he made no mistake, maybe not quite that close in, but yeah, he had all sorts of space after that little balk. And uh, with 80 seconds left on the clock, scores were all even again, 78 apiece. It was a fantastic move, that. I was actually a little worried that he was running his full measure. I thought he might have he just, he might have been a metre or two inside the 15. But, yeah, it um, was close. <laughs> it was close, but geez, it was, it was another cool, just calm finish. Uh yeah, he's a he's, finisher, that's for sure. He's definitely becoming a favourite for that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was yep. brilliant. So the Lions needed a bit of brilliance and uh, Bailey provided it in uh, spades there. So from the very next play, there's 80 seconds left on the clock, centre bounce. So it was a bit of a wayward bounce from the umpire and McInerney got all in a tangle and in doing so, he basically blocked English from the contest and uh, he did blow the whistle and a free kick to start this next bit of play. Did you reckon that was a free, Johnny? Um, look, to the letter of the law, it is. Uh, it was frustrating to watch, I'll be honest. But uh, look, I think, yeah, he was a bit unfortunate, McInerney, in that he just he got into a position where it looked obvious. And, yeah. um, I think you got to pay that. I think it, if, if we're going by these rules, then, yeah, you have to pay it. Uh, don't love it, but, yeah, it was <laughs> yeah. there. So it, was, it really did look quite clumsy from McInerney. It was clumsy. That's the exact word yeah. I use, yeah. Yeah. All right, so the Bulldogs have it coming out of the centre. Remember, scores are deadlocked at this point. So off the back of the contest, uh, so it was a long kick in, and off the back of the contest, it was Bailey Smith who keeps the ball moving towards goal. Remember, they only need any score at this point will do. And he just manages to control the ball enough to keep it moving forward. And Vandermeer is the next one in the chain. And as two Lions players bear down, he just manages to get the faintest boot to the ball. And it gets through just to the left of the behind post. And uh, very close to going out of bounds, but it does register a much needed point. And with only about 50 seconds left on the clock, it proves to be the match winning point as the Lions can't make the most of one last forward entry. And that's it. The dogs have won another knockout <laughs> final away from home. <laughs> yeah, incredible, incredible. Um, yeah, look, I thought I really liked um, English's kick from that free kick. I just thought he he just it looked like he just sort of bombed it, but like he just put it into the hot spot and gave it a bit of hang time. So 
don't know, there's certain kinds of kicks that do that really well, and this was that one where it gives your forwards the best chance to get it to ground. And I thought that was a really good one. Uh, I, I always like these games when there's... I would have liked to have heard a Bulldogs crowd there because I like it when the crowd just roars for a behind. <laughs> um, yeah, so that would have been kind of cool. But yeah, absolutely stunning performance. They deserve to win it. And um, yeah, uh, the Lions left uh, wondering what could have been. Yes, absolutely. So having finished top four in the last three years, the Lions only have a single win to show for it. And we talked a little bit about how they don't really lose at the Gabba, but I think most of those games they've lost in the finals have actually been home finals. So, yeah, for whatever reason, the, their game plan doesn't seem to be getting the job done in finals, and maybe it's part of this, uh, what we were talking about before, that the better teams are able to expose them with the fact that they're not really uh, working both ways through the midfield and... You know, even the defense does take quite attacking positions. So when you're playing against the best, you can get exposed by almost going, I guess, maybe slightly too much all out attack. Yeah. So I'm just trying to think. Uh, 2019, they had the qualifying final against Richmond. Yeah. And yep. Richmond won. They played the. Oh, they play GWS. They, played GWS they should have won that game. Shit. That was the semi. That was the GWS in the semi after losing. Semi, yes. And uh, they were up in that game as well. And I think they GWS kicked a goal with about 30 seconds left. So they probably should have won right. that one. So the only win they've had was the qualifying final against Richmond last year. Yeah, yeah. When they kind of got under Richmond's skin and uh, put a fair bit of score on them, roughed them up a little bit. And uh, then that set up the home prelim against Geelong. And yeah, Geelong... Really did the that. job on them. They made them look pretty second rate in that game. That's frustrating. I think if you're a Brisbane fan, you definitely, yeah. I mean, like two straight sets exits in three years. I don't. I can't think of any other team that's done that. That's yeah. I mean, you have to ask the questions. What what can we take? What steps can we take to go one further? Um. Yeah, just it's not a place you want to be on a regular basis. I mean, we talk a lot about Geelong and how they've made all these top four finishes and that, but, you know, they could be heading to that territory if it keeps going this way. Yeah, it's interesting what they'll identify out of all this. But, yeah, I think just getting some bit more balance in the midfield would be a good start. And obviously, like, they did have a few players out, but, yeah, you can't be losing all these home finals. Like no. it's such a big advantage to be playing home final, especially in this final series where most teams don't even have a home ground advantage, and just to not make the most of that is very problematic. So, is this season a failure for Brisbane? Well, I guess you got to ask the question: like, should they have even been top four? Really? Like, yeah. I think they had a pretty soft run of games to get into the top four. Maybe they weren't really deserving of top four. So. I think it just highlights a few problems, but I think they've still, overall, they have improved, but there's still a few gaps in terms of, uh, I think part of it is just the mentality as well. Like, yeah. They've got the game, but does is their game that suited to finals? Maybe, maybe they do need to tweak a few things to get a bit better balance and a bit more defensive bit more of a defensive mindset to uh, balance out their attacking qualities because it does seem like they can bleed goals at times and um, yeah in finals it's yeah it's just not going to do it we always talk about having a good defense and yeah yeah you need more than just a good offense in the finals and like they do have some good defenders but yeah, I'm just. It just doesn't seem to be that hard to score against Brisbane at the moment, especially when you can get a quick play. And Bulldogs had plenty of these. So, seeing as we're talking about the Bulldogs, why don't we jump to the Bulldogs Port prelim and uh, we'll go through why each of these teams can win it or how they might be able to win the game and get it on their terms. So, I ha- the dogs are my assignment. So, let's go to them first. So. I think, yeah, a lot of this does depend 
on uh, if Bondapelli comes up, it's going to be a very tough ask if he's not able to play. And even if he does, he probably won't be at 100% no. with a bit of a knee issue. But hopefully he's okay. This is all predicated on him being okay, I suppose. So number one, I think the Dogs need to win the clearances and protect uh, against stoppage goals, particularly with Port and their uh, you know small forwards. They can score pretty well out of stoppage, particularly center clearances, and it'll just help them get a bit of territory as well. So that will be a big thing to try and uh, nullify Port's Ruckman and just have enough of that hardness around the ball to actually get the ball moving their way. Um, I think the two-way running as well of uh, their midfield can be really good. We saw in this game against the uh, Lions that they were getting some quite open looks by running hard uh, you know, in offense, but if they can also work hard in defense, I think that'll stand them in good stead. It's probably not something that Port's done all through the year. They're probably doing it a bit better now, but again, I think that's somewhere they could potentially get an advantage. And number three, try and nullify as many of Port's small forwards as possible. So, um, they seem to be doing a relatively good job um, with the defense of the uh, large key forwards at the moment. Keith's in really good form, not conceding too many goals. So if they can limit the influence of some of these dangerous smalls, I think it'll go a long way to them winning the game. But I do think if the Dogs are going to win this, it's going to be a very tight game. So uh, they just need to be in the game, find a way to be in the game and uh, try and find a few bits of magic that they have quickly uh, become accustomed to in this final series and going back to 2016, there's not a huge amount of system in terms of how they're scoring all the time, but they just need to get it in there often enough and uh, use the footy smarts, get the goals from the midfield. And uh, yeah, I reckon they'll be in this game if they can do a couple of these things I've outlined here. Yep. Yep. That sounds, that sounds fair enough. That sounds fair enough. Um, so I have the job of how Port, what they need to do to win. Yes. And yeah, this one's hard because, uh, well, it's not hard, but it's um, it's it's hard to see any weaknesses really with Port right now. Many weaknesses. There are some. And one of them I have picked out though is they don't seem to be very strong with the ground ball post clearance. Uh, most of their goals last week, uh, with the you know Eurazio Fantasias and Mott Lops and that they were sort of coming from I guess the de- defensive forward pressure and uh, yep. turnovers. I find that Dixon's obviously led the league in contested marks and they're good with the contested marking side of it. But once it hits the deck, they kind of go back to the pack a little bit. So I think this is where they need to excel because this is a <laughs> this is an area where the Bulldogs really excel. So if they can at least break even in that ground ball area. I think that they'll go a long way to winning this, the power. Yep, nice one. Yes, yes. And obviously Dixon needs to take a few marks. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So how do you actually see this one playing out? Do you expect Port to win? Or do you think it could be really close in just a bit of a flip of the coin? Um, I actually do think the Bulldogs will give him a bit of a run. Even if Bont isn't the best, I think he'll definitely give it a, a shot. Uh, this, I guess, it really comes down to how some of these some of these Port midfielders. I, I really want to see how they go in this kind of role when they're yeah when it's when it's all about the ground ball and that. Uh, I, it could be a game for someone like Zach Butters to really explode. I guess. But I think yeah. it's going to take something like that. It's going to take... We know that Wines is going to probably have 30 touches. We know Boke's going to have 30, whatever. And uh, I think it's going to take another sort of... You know, another player rising up the ladder, of another rung or something. So, yeah. And look, i got to say that the, the, the Port back line has looked really, really solid in the last few weeks. Jonas plays a number of roles. Aaliyah, we all know how good he is. Uh Amon's a really interesting one too. He, he sort of uh, he's a little bit different to the rest, just with his you know what he offers. So 
Yeah. Uh, I, I think Port would probably win it, but I reckon it'll be close. Yeah, I guess with prelims, often they are either really close or it's just a complete blowout. So yeah. hopefully, hopefully we can get a decent contest. But uh, yeah, I guess if it's going to blow out one way, you'd expect Port to be the winner there, but maybe the yep. dogs can make it close. And I guess that's what they'll be trying to do, just stay with Port as long as they can and uh, maybe overrun them in the end. They do have pretty good running capacity throughout the whole game. All right, let's move to the other prelim. So I think we predicted this a little way out or I think it was part of my head bracket that it would be (laughs) Geelong winning back through to uh, face Melbourne. And uh, what's the prize for finishing first? You get to play the third team in the prelim rather than the second who gets to play the fifth team. So (laughs) we've talked about that as well. Yeah, I've... Yeah, I'll... No, I was just going to say, uh, I still find it a little bit funny that there's that. There's also Port getting an extra day break, which probably doesn't make a difference when it gets to two weeks, but fair enough. They also are the only team that's playing home finals. So I just, yeah, I just find those three things all together a little bit funny. But carry on. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So how did Melbourne win this game? So I think they are, yeah, they are favourites. Um, I think... The people who are giving Geelong the best chance of winning are maybe Melbourne supporters. <laughs> I think you know, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty... I think we are very hesitant about this. And, you know, Geelong's got the finals experience. Not all of it yep. good, but they do have the they do have players that can step up in big games and do well. Not that they always do it, but, you know, when their forward line is clicking um, and they're winning enough ball through the middle and they're style stands up, then they are a dangerous team. And it wasn't meant to be easy. You, you know, you're down to four teams. There are no easy games. No. So if Melbourne wants to win this thing, they gotta they got to bring their close to their best, I think. And uh, to me, yes. as I've said all year, it starts with the pressure around the contest, particularly against Geelong. We saw what the pressure did to Geelong against Port. I don't necessarily think they'll be as susceptible to it as they were that week maybe they will be if they can get it up really mm. early and get in their face not letting them get those easy exits but yep. pressure around the ball going hard at it melbourne's playing with less numbers around the ball usually to protect yes. the defense so right. throwing yourself around the body around surge the ball forward uh win the contest keep the ball moving against Geelong's tall defense that maybe isn't that agile. So that's a huge one. If I feel like if we see Melbourne's game that we've seen maybe half the time this year where they can really ramp up the pressure, I think they've got probably... Their, their chances of winning go from maybe 55-60 to probably closer to 80% if they can get that pressure really high. So that's probably the biggest thing for me. So number two, number two, did did you want to talk about the pressure at all or do you want me to move on? I think you're absolutely right. It's all going to be about the pressure. It's going to be about, yep, stopping Geelong's easy exits. Uh, It's about um, pressure around the middle of the ground where it can be applied, even though they'll be sort of usually with a man off in that contest. Uh, But uh, spreading as well, using the wide open spaces of the Optus Stadium, uh, also, I reckon, sorry, we'll come back then, but I think they'll definitely go for a lot of uh, maybe switches early uh, from the back line, try and really stretch them, get Geelong running early, maybe tire them out early. That was something I noticed against Brisbane, just how willing they were to sort of take the game on going out of defence. And I'm pretty sure that's my next point. Take the game on, yep. need to do this <laughs> against to score against Geelong. So, you know, Geelong set up well. It's not that easy to score against them. So when you do get the chance to to do something with the ball, as you're saying, switch it, take the attacking option when you can, when it's there, hit the kick and just go quick. That's Melbourne's... When Melbourne looks their best, they're coming out of defence quickly. Not necessarily too yep. quickly, but they're taking the game on and they're hitting the kicks inboard if they're there and they're doing the handball receives. Even when they're going right along the wing, on. just that link-up play, just pl- get it yeah. on quickly. So I think that'll be important. And something we've talked about a lot of the year as well with Melbourne 
take your chances. If you get oh, a dominant yeah. period in that first half and at any point, you got to put it on the scoreboard. So you're only going to get so many opportunities against Geelong. And, you know, maybe, maybe it will be, you know, a game where Melbourne can get generate a lot of opportunities but more than likely they're not going to get a huge number of chances against Geelong no and if if they're not nailing some of those gettable chances they're going to be behind the eight ball and probably behind at half time which I'm not saying that's a terminal position but this could be a real big determiner in the game a lot of Melbourne's games they have had more points than goals uh, throughout the year so I'm not necessarily expecting them to take all their chances, no. but just need to get enough score on the board when they have the play going their way. I think yeah, sixty percent will probably will probably do it. <laughs> um, yes, but yeah, look, yeah, we talk about that. They yeah, they've just got to they've got to make the most of those chances. And uh, look, you know what? They, in taking the game on, it's okay to give up a goal as well. It's not terminal to do that every now and then if, if they're going to take the game on and, and they give one up the other way in the moment it might be annoying for us fans but you know we'll back the system in over the journey and yeah, yeah. As long, at least if they're still taking those risks taking the game on they'll get their chances I think another really key thing this isn't just for Melbourne this is for every team when you score a goal the next thing you have to do is stop the opposition scoring a goal in the next minute because I think it's become more and more of a trend over the last couple of months. The number of times one team scores a goal and the other team just gets it straight back with a clear centre clearance, it's happening It's happening a lot. <laughs> I don't know yeah, what the notice. stats are, like whether it's like a quarter of the time or what, but that should probably be your main thing. Like If you've just scored a goal, even if it means you're almost giving up your chance of actually scoring from that stoppage a little bit, I would actually be saying to the guys, you know, just... Like tempo or something. No, not necessarily just, tempo, but just, just, just set up slightly after, yeah. more defensively just to yeah. make sure they don't get a clear um, exit out of the stoppage. And you still might end up winning it. But I think if but you just can... just try to keep yeah, possession if you can. If you can. If you can stop them scoring from like the first minute after yeah. you've caught, scored a goal, I, I think that's almost a win. Like I, oh, yeah. When I'm watching football now, I never used to be like this, but I'm just thinking, okay, we've got a goal. Now, don't let them score. Because yeah. th- just like teams are getting better and better at scoring with the 6-6-6, it seems. And yeah, like so that's a big thing to look for for all teams, really. When you get a goal, just you'd be surprised how often it gets coughed up more or less straight away. <laughs> Oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. And uh, another thing I've learned, especially with our game style this year, to really appreciate is um, is ge- getting the ball, lock, preferably locking it in our forward 50, but just burning time off the clock. Like just there'll be a whole lot of stoppages and contests and there might be no score, but then five minutes goes past. To me, that's as good as a goal if you've got like a, a slender lead or something. Um, yeah, if you're up by a couple of goals. Yeah, no a couple of goals. In, yeah. No harm in that. Yeah, exactly. Um <laughs> But yeah, I totally agree. It it reminds me actually of soccer when you've scored, uh, and you, you sometimes you need to like just settle it for the next five minutes because yeah, sometimes the opposition can so- score straight away and yeah, it's just game on. But um, yeah, very similar, and yeah, it's just that hot sixty second period after, isn't it? In that center yeah, bounce, yeah, yeah. Because if you if you look at if you look at the score worms where you don't get the sort of center bounce goals one after the other often there's actually an extended period between goals like yeah. it's obvious to say but the the less center bounce goals the less congested the goals are going to be particularly with yeah. how defensively the game is played now so if you're on top if you kicked a goal or two in a row the worst thing you can do is let them get an easy goal out of stoppage yeah you'd rather sort of just you know get a contest maybe knock it out a bit and then maybe after the 40 seconds see the ball trickle over out of bounds on the wing or something yeah yeah, yeah. rather than just pinging around and yeah oh wow they just probably, got a mark inside 50 it's probably the most risky time to attack like you're still you can get it going your way and get another goal that way as well but yeah it's just something I've noticed more and more and obviously I haven't really mentioned you know Melbourne's setting up in defence I'm kind of just taking that 
whole defensive structure for granted there. They'll do what they need to do there. Uh, and if they don't, they're not winning the game. So I'm kind of just taking that for granted. <laughs> it's a mindset thing as well. It's yeah, definitely a mindset absolutely. thing. It's a bit similar to what I was saying last week with um, how I really just wanted to kick a goal in the third quarter. I thought that was a mental thing. But uh, yeah. We've all, all got right. uh, things that we think. So we've talked a fair bit about Melbourne. How does Geelong win this game? What do they have to do? Yeah, look, it's pretty straightforward for Geelong. They've... Look, we all know their strength is their ball control, I guess, and their desire to have the time in possession. And and it can be hard to stop. So, you know, if they do get enough uncontested possession, they can definitely, I guess, stretch the Melbourne zone around and try and, you know, be patient, find that hole, I guess. Um, yeah, but it, it's going to come down to their forward efficiency, I think, because they win a lot of the ball, but they don't... A little bit like Melbourne, actually. They probably don't capitalise on it as much as they should. Um, and I think they were actually 11th in the league from scoring efficiency from inside 50s this year in the home and away season. Um, but, they, yeah, they do rank second in the league for marks inside 50. So that's definitely... I think they're probably up there with Melbourne in terms of needing to take more of their opportunities. But... The main thing. So do you is, see that as a do you see that as a key for Geelong then having to take a lot of marks inside fifty to win this game? Yes, that would be one of them definitely. I think, and I think they can. I think someone like Tom Hawkins needs to play a big game, and he played a pretty good first half. I think against Melbourne in round twenty three, he kicked four for the night. Um, but he's yep. going to need a big game. Jeremy Cameron will need to chip in, obviously. But I think Hawkins is definitely the one that needs to have a big game. But yeah, lastly, I think that. They are going to need to speed up their ball movement at times. They, they, they can do the controlled thing, and if they're doing that for most of the game, doing it well, that's fine. But the only thing that's going to make this relevant at all is if they do speed it up at times to get, because that's where they're going to get their scoring from. Get all their goals against GWS, or well, most of them against GWS, were from that when they managed to, I guess, take it on and and play on a bit and get it moving. If they don't do any of that, there's yeah, there's probably no chance. Interesting. I remember one thing DeLong did quite well in that round 23 game was getting Hawkins and uh, Cameron often quite high up the ground, or maybe not often. They did it a few times. And if they one of those guys could win the contest yeah. at around sort of centre wing, then they could get it into a very open forward line and uh, sort of take away Melbourne's structure that way by drawing a lot of the players out. So yeah. it'd be interesting to see if they use that strategy again. But yeah. One of I them think, would usually be high up the field, yeah. Yeah, so it was if um Yeah, I, I I'm similar to you. I don't think Geelong can win this game unless they are willing to push the pedal at certain times. You can't really beat Melbourne by playing slow the whole time, I don't no, think. You're not no, gonna neither. score enough and you're not going to be able to limit Melbourne enough to that score that you're scoring. So there's going to be a point in time if Geelong's going to win this game where they have to ramp it up a bit. And I think from watching a few of their games, they do seem to ramp it up a little bit more in the second half if they need to or identify a period. But yeah, it will be interesting to see in the first quarter what sort of ratio they're going with or how keen they are to actually get the handball received and move it relatively quickly when they get the chance. So I think we'll we'll know a bit in that first quarter about what Geelong's mentality is. Like if they're aiming for a, you know, like 60 to 55 slog, could happen. Like maybe maybe Melbourne will play down to that and they can't quite get their game going. But I don't think that's the best chance Geelong has. I think they do need to open it up a little bit and uh, use their skills and, you know, get the ball in quickly to some dangerous forwards. And uh, that's probably the best chance I've got. I just feel like if they're going with their controlled style for the majority of the time, uh, it might get them a couple of looks eventually, but they might also only have two goals on the board at halftime. Yeah. 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 And it kind of plays into Melbourne's hands a little bit too. If they're going slow the whole time, Melbourne can set up their structure exactly where they want it. And eventually Melbourne will win it back and they'll be in a pretty good position to do something with it as well. That's the other thing. They might have the two goals and they might also be about five goals down as well. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot, well, a few Melbourne supporters I've talked to 
pretty confident, if you feeling like it's 50-50. I struggle, like, no matter how good your team is, to think that, you know, a prelim is much more than a 50-50. It could go either way. They're all great teams. So, yeah, I'm not getting too carried away, but, you know, excited for the game. Really keen to see what Melbourne can put out. And, uh, yeah, hopefully it's a memorable game one way or another. And, yeah, obviously it's going to be pretty uh, heartbreaking to get a loss in a huge game like this. But, uh, you know, you can only get the big win if you risk uh, the loss, right? That's so, right. you got to risk it all to win it all. So it's in their control. They can do it. They've got the game style. They've got the players. We've got a good opponent coming up against and uh, got to do the job. Yeah, and look, I'm exactly the same. I've spoken to a few Melbourne fans as well and there's a lot of confidence. Uh, there's a lot of uh, you know, people saying things like... Uh, Look, if we're playing, if we're playing close to our best, we'll get the job done. Which I actually do believe. I think if we're, uh, I don't think there's a scenario where we would play our best and be beaten by a better side on Friday night. Uh, I don't think that's possible. But uh, I think yeah, but probably the only way that we will is if we don't quite turn up. We don't put the running in. We don't do. Uh, we don't execute our system the way we know we can. Uh, but I'm exactly like you, Dan. I I think. I just think it's stupid to sleep on a team like Geelong. I think they're a, good, a proven side, a good side. And just because they haven't made it to that many grand finals, like, why does that become a catalyst for what happens every single year after? This might be the year that they break through. Like, yeah, so I think it's a 50-50 at this point. If I was going to give the edge to anyone, it'd probably be us. But, uh, yeah, I think it'll be... It won't, won't be easy. I think anyone who's saying that it'll be easy is probably just in La La Land. Yeah, and like, if you look back through the years, often the prelim is actually the more difficult game than the grand final for the eventual winner. So you can't take anything for granted in prelims. They've also got that extra psychology of knowing you're playing for a spot in the grand final. So it's that whole thing, you know, you're sort of playing to protect that position a little bit. There's a lot that comes into it. The drought, the fact that they did finish top and they've been dominant. Like... There's a lot rolled into this. So, yes. um, yeah, definitely not an easy game. Good matchup for Melbourne. Um, but, you know, at the same time, Geelong would be fancying their chances as well. So, yep, definitely. See what happens Friday night. Yes. I've got a question, actually. Which game is tougher for the two top teams, Port and Melbourne? I think Melbourne's game is, is tougher. Like, I think so too. The Bulldogs can definitely run port, but if you combine the fact that they're probably not going to be at full strength, mm. they, they still probably haven't, even though they've had some good wins, and it seems strange to say they haven't been at their best winning two knockout finals, but I still don't think they're probably playing like at their peak, the Bulldogs. And no. um, Yeah, so combine those two things, whereas you look at Melbourne's side of the draw... Uh, Geelong, the seasoned team. Um, yeah, they haven't won a lot of finals, but they have won some big finals. They've got a well-functioning forward line when it all clicks, sturdy defence, and uh, enough firepower through the midfield to cause some problems. So I think on paper, Melbourne's got the tougher draw. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think that is the, the tougher challenge. and Yeah, like the Bulldogs definitely pose a threat but they probably had the harder game last week they've yep. got one day less break uh yeah look it's in all honesty i think that i think if port don't make it to the grand final it would be a massive disappointment for them uh yeah it would take nothing away from the dogs i think if the dogs manage to get over the line there that's a huge achievement and they can definitely have a shot at it but uh yeah i think I just think that being the only team that's had a home ground advantage in the finals, I think that that's it's big. It's big. So, um, who would be the tougher opponent for the winner of Melbourne Geelong out of Port and the Bulldogs neutral venue, Optus Stadium? Wow. Uh, so for Melbourne, jeez, uh, it's yeah, wow. I was just saying Melbourne or Geelong doesn't Melbourne like, or Geelong. I just, I, I just think it might be slightly different for each one. Okay, though. yeah, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. It may not be, though. I'm just having to think. You know what? It, it's probably the same, actually. Uh, I think Port would be tougher. 
I think Port yeah. will be tough. I just think there's a few players there that are in really good form and can really just uh, slice you up a bit. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So, I guess the very last thing we can probably do, unless you got any other questions, is uh, just give the predicted grand final matchup if you're willing to do it. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Well, yeah. I have to take my supporter's head off for a second. Uh, look, yeah, if I was if I was just a regular punter, I think that it would be Melbourne and Port. Um, but that's just that's just a knee jerk right now. Uh, yeah, yeah. Strange things happen in prelim final week, and yeah, we could be sitting here next week talking about some amazing results that have just happened. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know I'm also going for a Melbourne Port grand final but like you're saying i wouldn't be surprised if one or both of those teams gets knocked off so yeah no it's long dogs final for sure yeah that would be one out of the books but yeah like anything can happen it's a game of footy you only have to win one game and uh you're in the grand final so it all comes down to eh? the day or the (laughs) night yes absolutely all right any final thoughts or happy to leave it there Oh, I think that's the perfect place to leave it. Uh, yeah, just everyone enjoy it. Uh, it's, if your team's left, it's just savour the moment, I guess. Yes, absolutely. Try and enjoy these big games. We've already had some interesting games through the finals, some really big games, and yeah, it doesn't get much bigger than a prelim and then uh, grand final a couple of weeks after. Thanks for jumping on the line, Johnny. No problem. Uh, it was a pleasure. And thanks to you guys for listening as well. Hopefully you're enjoying the final series. And uh, as Johnny was saying, if your team's in it, hope this going to stick in there for another week and potentially make it through to a grand final. Bye for now.